Take a listen to some of our Shensky stuff. We got Shensky stuff on Anchor FM. Some great podcasting content, ladies and gentlemen. Shensky stuff. Blog Talk Radio. And you're listening to Live Without Limits. Dreams come true with the right mindset. And today, our show is titled, Are You Wondering How to Practice Excuse me, Visualization Techniques? And we're here to help you. Now, visualization is a very powerful tool used with the laws of attraction. Visualization is a powerful tool that can help you make your goals and dreams a reality. Through visualization, meditation, you can practically jump toward forward in time and put yourself in the situation or outcome that you want to experience. In turn, this can actually help make it happen, and we aren't kidding. Many a time, if you use visualization, whether you use pictures to create the, the picture, what are you doing? You're actually seeing yourself reaching that goal. And when you can picture it, that's the first step to knowing that if you work on it and you do what you need to do to achieve that goal, you will succeed. Through visualization, meditation, you can practically jump forward in time and put yourself in the situation or outcome that you want to experience. In turn, this can actually help make it happen, and we aren't kidding. So kick back and relax. We're about to learn all about visualization and anything that you need to know to start using it in your life by starting today. So what is visualization? Well, according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, visualization is a form of mental images and the act of the process of interpreting a visual terms or in putting into visible form. And this truly is what visualization is. It's all about closing your eyes and imagining what you want to happen as well as how that would feel. Remember, if you can literally use it the right way, and remember, how many times have you heard athletes talk about how, as children, they would see themselves in a World Series 
or see themselves in a Super Bowl. And because they worked hard to gain the skills to be at the top level that they are, they achieved that goal. So how does visualization techniques work? Well, you might be thinking, okay, great. Yes, I can visualize images in my mind, but that isn't the core of the visualization techniques. Research shows that the brain imaging helps improve the transmission between neurons in our brains. This means that you visualize something happening. Your brain is somewhat equates it to real-life action. In turn, this creates a neural pathway. It's very similar to if you were to practice the same skill over and over again. Now, we're currently in the middle of the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. And it depends on whether or not you actually play Winter Olympics as to whether or not you're going to watch the Winter Olympics. But here's the thing. When you think of some of the, the, the levels that these athletes have to achieve, because when they compete to get into the Olympics, only the top level ones actually get in. And now with snowboarding, think about it. You have Sean White, and he literally was the first one to win in the snowboarding event once it was introduced as a medal event. And he has changed the sport just by the acrobatics and things that he has been able to achieve. So even though he did not win this year, he still has left his mark on that particular sport. And if you think about it, other people, other people who will follow them, the, the boys and the girls, now that he's decided to start his own snowboarding company and sponsorship, they will probably seek him out simply because of his name recognition alone and what he has proven that that sport is capable of because it very much is an athletic type of sport. It's not just going down the mountain. If you're going to do the high tech, if you remember seeing skateboarding and some of the things that skateboarders are able to do, although because it's a different type of sport and it's done on roller skates, it's not at the same level, but to be a snowboarder means you're a real athlete because you have to be able to do acrobatics. And the higher you can get with the skill that you're able to with, and achieve it with balance, that, that's something that can only be achieved with practice and with visualization and the mental imagery of the succeeding at that sport. For example, a pro baseball player might visualize himself hitting the winning ball. By doing so, he activates the neural circuits involved in this movement. As a result, 
it's more likely to happen. I improved my visualization. The truth is that this all comes down to practice. Practicing visualization on a regular basis can make you well and better at it. So let's explore this a little more in depth. What can you do to get good at visualization? What are some visualization techniques? If you're new to visualization, meditation, and techniques, try these activities. Guided imagery meditations. There's actually a ton of guided imagery meditations online. However, you can also be and create your own if you know what you're doing. Idea is to learn how to use it correctly. Now, it involves sitting in a comfortable position as you would for any type of meditation. Close your eyes and slow down your breathing. Now, this is the fun part. Imagine a place where you feel totally calm, happy, and content. It can be any place, even imaginary. Choose at least three senses to engage throughout this process. Maybe you smell roses faintly in the distance, or perhaps you can feel a warm breeze on your face. The goal here is to really try to feel them as much as possible. What you're actually doing is getting in touch with your inner total being. Next up, take a step forward into the world. Allow yourself to feel more calm, and more content as you move forward into it. Continue taking in those chosen senses of breathing slowly as you walk forward. Continue feeling more calm and at peace. When you're ready, you can then open your eyes and finish your guided imagery meditation. Now, you are using your senses. With touch, you can actually feel it. With sense of smell, you can actually smell it. You know, you can smell the, the brand new car, the leather. You can smell the fruits and the vegetables. You can smell the flowers. So get in touch with that sense. Now taste. Taste is that, that sensitivity on your tongue. So if you get to where you can literally put yourself where you want to be, that's the first step that can truly help you get what it is that you want. Progressive relaxation techniques. And this is something that's been talked about even as far back as the 
1960s in the 20th century. So it's been around for a good 70 years. Progressive relaxation is wonderful for those with pent-up stress and anxiety. It can help you let go of tension and completely relax your physical body. In turn, this can translate into relaxing your mind. This practice can also help you get better at becoming more physically in tune with your body as you create imagery in your mind. Here's how to do it. Lie flat on your back on a comfortable surface. Gently close your eyes and allow your breathing to slow. Starting at toes to your head, tense up each muscle group with one inhale and exhale. Then release the tense the tense up muscle and relax fully. As you do this, you can visualize your muscle tensing up, then completely relaxing and any stress melting away. This whole process may take about 15 to 20 minutes. So go slow and don't rush it to reap the full benefit. There are many tapes out there that work with you on helping you get into that deep relaxation state. One of the reasons they say put on music is that it's also tuning in that sense of hearing. And what's happening is as you're relaxing, you're becoming more and more in tune with the physical feeling of the body and how it feels. Leaving and loving kindness meditation. And this is also something to help you get into that great state of meditation. This visualization exercise is all about spreading love to someone you know who might need it, as well as yourself. To do this, find a comfortable position and slow down your breath. Close your eyes. Visualize the individual that you want to extend loving kindness and compression to compassion toward. Think about how you view this person. You might feel love, mixed feelings, or even nothing at all. Imagine the pain they have had in their life. Then focus Slowly focus on the feelings that you want to send their way. This might be peace, happiness, excitement, calm, joy, love, 
or anything else. Keep in mind that you're in tune to your breathing. So keep breathing as you focus on that feeling. It can even help to repeat a mantra. So just, may I find joy, peace, and calm. Find one that speaks to you and the feeling you are sending. Do this for about two minutes. Visualization meditation. Visualization meditation. Now we get to the real thing. You can skip right to the exercise or do the above exercises to practice getting ready for this one. And here's how to do it. Right now, I'll focus on one goal that you want to accomplish. Close your eyes and imagine that goal becoming real. Imagine it happening. How does it feel? What other details can you pull from the scene that you created? The more details and senses engaged, the better. If you're struggling with self-doubt, you can also throw a mantra in the mix. While visualizing the scene and focusing on your senses, you can also repeat a mantra, such as, yes, I can, or another phrase that resonates with you. Continue to focus on the scene that you've created in your mantra for about five to ten minutes. As you get better at this mantra for about five to ten minutes, okay, as you get better at this practice, you can even extend your visualization meditation from 10 to 20 minutes or more. So let's go over this again. If you're struggling with self-doubt, you can also throw in a mantra into the midst. While you're visualizing the sense and focusing on your senses, you can also repeat a mantra. So just, yes, I can or another phrase that resonates with you. Continue to focus on your senses that you've created and your mantra for about five to 10 minutes. As you get better at this practice, you can even extend your visualization meditation to 20, 10 to 20 minutes or more. Visualize your goals. Then take action. Create visualization can help you with this first step to making your dreams a reality. However, it's not only the first step involved. You also have to take that first physical step toward your goals. Maybe that means joining the class or learning a new at the same time, true visualization can be a powerful way to make your goals come true in life. So try it and see if it works. And 
maybe we can talk a little bit about how setting goals with visualization really works because it really takes control things. You feeling and actually putting yourself where you really want to be, to be and helps you really focus in on that. So let's talk a little bit about how to incorporate this. Okay, visualization, we all do it to some degree, but some of us do it intentionally and some by accident. Those that can control and manage visualization can overcome great obstacles and create amazing success in their personal and professional lives. Professional athletes talk about the pregame or event ritual. Almost all will describe themselves seeing the task ahead of time. In a study conducted by Dr. Biasoto at the University of Chicago, players were split into three groups. For 30 days, one group practiced free throws. One group was asked to sit and visualize their free throws, while the other did nothing. The ones who only visualized making the free throws increased performance by 23%, and the group who practiced improved by 24%. The final group had no demonstrable change, as would be expected. Recognize this fact by sheer visualization. The group improved almost equal to the group who practiced. So, if you combine the two and you practice to get better and you visualize to get better, then you're going to even surpass the, that number of 24%. It's the simple task of seeing yourself in the state or situation successfully. You do it with all your senses. Visually, you see it, you try it, and you feel it, and you hear it as if it has happened. You can do this for personal goals, to sales calls, to an income you would like to achieve. I have coached many leaders and sales teams individually, and if one of my objectives they have to reach a certain quota of dollars attainment. I ask them to create a visual representation of what that would look like. The check stub, the commissions, the worksheet, the bank account. I ask them to physically alter the discount to create what the result is at the end of the year then I ask them to focus on this every night right before they go to bed to visualize this result. 
Now, here's something else to think about. Remember the story of himself a check for $25,000 before he ever made $25,000 in one night that he actually saw himself reaching that goal long before he ever became a successful stand-up comedian. And today, he's not just worth $25,000 a night. He's worth a million dollars a night because he's perfected his craft and he's gotten better at it. So it's a lot more than just visualizing. You actually have to work at it. And I don't know how many times I've been and visited churches and I've heard the preacher say, oh, if you just believe in Jesus, you'll get what you want. Well, you can sit there and you can believe in Jesus all you want to, but until you actually work towards those goals, it is not going to happen. So remember this. It's up to you to make something happen. Here is what many have discovered. If you are focused on the goal and you are managing the chatter in your mind and you are doing the work, you will find the answers that you need. You will also pick yourself up and overcome obstacles. In the end, it's about getting the personal goal that you are trying to achieve. Amazingly, everyone I have coached has shared that something presented itself to them to help achieve it. This same visualization technique is happening right now. If you're not controlling it, meaning what you are focused on and repeating to yourself, you will continually find again and again. I call it the upward spiral of success or the downward spiral of distress. Henry David Thoreau said it best, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Try it. Pick something or focus on it. Then visualize it. Overcome the chatter and the focus and guide it. Let me know how it goes. And if you do the work and manage the talk, you will be pleasantly surprised. I promise you. Now, here's the thing. You also have to think of it in terms of this. You have control over what's happening in your head, and you have the control over where your head is going. Now, remember, dreams are your subconscious thoughts telling everyone what it is that you want, but it's you that make things happen. You have control over your life. And when you accept that you have the control, you will succeed. Remember that. 
that your the problem is in so many ways. Parents want to protect their children so they don't give them the opportunity to make mistakes. And if you're not given the opportunity to make mistakes, then you're not going to learn how to be successful. Now, I'm also offering a five-day challenge that's called Change Your Thoughts, Transform Your Life. And that talks about how the unconscious affects your behavior and your communication and the things that are running in your head. The next thing we talk about is toxic relationships because what's happening here is that you're having someone else telling you what you can or can't do. And their negativity is seeping into your 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 brain, and then eventually you're repeating those things over and over again until you internalize them and literally believe it. The third day, we're going to talk about the workplace environment because the behavioral styles and the way you communicate with each other determines whether or not you're going to be successful or not be successful. And the fourth thing, what we're going to do is talk about how to change all those negative thoughts into positive thoughts. And then the fifth thing, we're going to review it. And you can go to the website, changeyourthoughtschallenge.com forward slash join the challenge. And when you do that, then sign up for my five-day Challenge. Blog Talk Radio. And you're listening to Live Without Limits, The Dreams Come True from the Blog Talk Radio Network. And today's presentation is titled, Do You Say Yes When You Want to Say No? And there's five tips for setting better boundaries. It is so important to understand that depending on your behavior pattern, you tend to be more compliant, especially in a dysfunctional family where there are no boundaries and parents feel, and it's the old school type of thing where parents feel like they can abuse their children just simply because it's their children. I used to be a yes person. Someone would ask me to do something and inside me, 
I would be thinking, no, I absolutely do not want to do that. But then I'd blurt out, yes, automatically. It was a habit that didn't deserve me well. And leaving me agreeing too far more than I could manage to do, it left me feeling burnt out and disappointed with myself. But over the years, I started learning more about boundaries and how to set them. I learned that it's all right to say no if I didn't want to do something. I had every right to decline. That didn't mean that I was a bad or selfish person. It just meant that I had some internal and external boundaries. Now, before we get into setting boundaries, what I want to say is when you are in management, often if you're the leader, you're going to want to delegate so that you don't get burnt out. The problem is if you understand different people's personalities, then often there's people that if you know where their specialty is, they'll automatically say yes to doing it. But if it's someone that it really doesn't fit their personality, they may say yes just simply because they're your subordinate. But we all need to understand that there's boundaries that we should follow because internally is where we're hurting ourselves. So building better boundaries. Some people grow up with blurred boundaries in the household. Little Johnny who throws a tantrum to get something and succeeds, learns that boundaries can be manipulated. Little James, parents may have very rigid boundaries. They may fuss at her when she wants or needs something. So when she grows up, she has a tough time knowing what she wants or needs. She also has a tough time speaking them. And this is what we're talking about, that if you don't understand boundaries and how to utilize them, because you come from a family where boundaries were often broken, then you have a very tough time with boundaries or even getting around things. Now, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of physical, mental, and emotional abuse. And parents that really didn't understand boundaries because they really had no boundaries of their own. They just came from the generation where whatever the parent said, it was okay. And the child had to follow those dictates. And they didn't understand that if you treat people the right way, then you're going to be treated the same way. I often said to my mother, just remember what you've done because that's what you're getting back. And I followed through with that because when she got in her latter years where she really needed someone, I was not the one that was there to take care of her. It was left up to my sisters. And And she got so mad at me once that she she decided she was going to leave me out of the will and just leave me one dollar. Well, I had a right when she was gone to sue that estate, and I would have done it also. 
But then, then she had to realize that as long as she kept to that dictate, and I remember that it was all because all I did was tell her what I wanted to do with my business, but because all she saw was my disability and that she did not want to let go simply because she didn't want to be alone. And she never took into account that when she was gone, her children would have to take care of themselves. That's why I have a sister that's just 73 years old because she's deaf and was always made totally dependent and because she was so desperate for their love and couldn't understand that they just didn't know how to show love that what does she do she's she now sleeps the day away because she has no goals she has no idea what to do with herself and so she's just waiting to die and that is just so sad because she she could have a full interactive life. All she has to do is learn to communicate and, and be around other deaf people and have a life. The problem is that when she was 46 years old, my mother moved to Florida and brought her with her and then denied her the opportunity to interact with other deaf people. So now she really is so much alone that she doesn't know what to do. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to, set, to setting boundaries, understanding your behavior pattern and how you need to, to pull yourself out of it and get the help. Because my sister's been getting help, but because she was so dependent on them and because they were saying one thing while the therapist was saying something else, all they wanted to do was put her on medication and quiet her down. That was all they cared about. And I remember once my mother went and sat in her sister's house and was trying to say that I was violent when it was a violent home to begin with so that she could use that to get me on medication to quiet me down and control me and, and keep me where she wanted me only because of my background in psychology, I knew what they were doing. I did not answer the door to them. They were not able to serve me the papers. And then she came back. And then when I left, I didn't speak to her for many years after that because I, I knew I, that when I first got my first job where I was living on my own, she considered that running away. And the funny thing is, is when I was 12 years old, I climbed out of the window and if I'd had some place to go and if the times hadn't been different, that, they, that it was still a period where people with disabilities were not accepted and not looked at as being human, that I would have, I would have probably ended up getting away from them from that early age. That's how bad a home it was. I knew it was, and that's why I ended up studying in the mental health field and psychology because I had to help myself because no one else was going to be there to help me. So we're not born with superb boundary-setting skills. Oftentimes, we must take time to learn what is appropriate boundaries 
and then practice keeping them. One thing is for sure, if you take time to learn better boundary setting skills, you're more apt to live a more peaceful life. When you say yes, when you want and no, when you want, you minimize internal battles. You also minimize fear of rejection, abandonment, and worry about what people will think of you. So before I get into this, because I grew up in a home where there was a lot of physical abuse, I knew that it would be very easy for me to end up with someone that would have abused me. I had walls up. And actually, in essence, in the few relationships I did have, they turned out to be somewhat abusive. And I knew that I was better off alone and being independent than ending up with someone that was going to abuse me because I deserve to be treated right. And I also, in the last few years, ran into people who, one, got married because she was so afraid that no one else would ask her and stayed with them for 21 years. And in those 21 years, she had three children, but she also was physically abused on a daily basis. And I know someone else that she basically grew up in a home where her mother, or rather her mother had had some mental health issues that she was not a strong person. And after the first baby, she was told she was she should never have any more children, but then decided she wanted more children and had another child. And of course, she ended up in the hospital. And this woman didn't know for nine years that she even had a mother, was shuffled around because the father couldn't take care of the children. And then ended up being going to aunts and uncles and always felt unwanted to the point that when she got married, she had people telling her and trying to tell her, don't marry him. And she married him anyway, simply because he was the only one that wanted her. And in the end, he abused her too. So it's just something you need to be aware of. When you come from a home where you, it's not a healthy relationship. Until you learn how to have a healthy relationship, you're better off alone. And getting the help you need to learn what a healthy relationship is. So here are five tips to help you learn to set better boundaries. Keep it simple. If someone comes and asks you something and you don't have to go into a lengthy explanation of why you don't want to do it, all you have to do is politely decline. It's easy to over-apologize or start beating yourself up immediately or saying no. So be aware of this and resist the temptation. You could simply say something like, I really can't help you out with the 
with that right now. But thank you for asking. You can even rehearse what you want to tell people when you want to tell them no. That way, when they come to you with their request, you already know what you're going to say rather than blurting out yes. Out of habit. Then, when you worked uh, previously in the during the 20th century, as corporations were growing, you had middle management, upper management, and top management. And often each level would would delegate out work depending on the position you held, and that's what you took. Well, today we basically work for ourselves as entrepreneurs. And I remember back during the very latter part of the 20th century, just before we, we hit the year 2000, I would tell people that if you look at a secretary, that they work in a corporation and they got a set salary and often they were given work from six different people. And as a virtual assistant, you can charge each of them separately a certain fee that you want per hour and set aside how many hours you're going to work for each. And in the end, you work far less and you also make far more money. Two, use the I'll get back with you on that phrase. When someone asks something of you, you do not have to answer them right away. You have every right to sit with that and really think about whether you want to say yes or no. Rather than blurt out yes, say, I'll get back to you on that, or let me sit with sit with that and I'll get back with you tomorrow. Then really go within to see if you want to take whatever they're requesting. If you do, great. If you don't, that's fine also. What you want and need really does matter. And this really goes back to relationships that if you remember in the 20th century and the up until the, the 60s, it was defined that the husband was the one that went to work and the wife was the one that, that stayed home and took care of the children and took care of the home and basically made sure that the meals were ready on time and cleaned the house. Those were the strict defined rules. But today, because both people work, you have to learn to have give and take with each other and be willing to help each other out and, and divide chores up accordingly. And it has to be something that's really set early on because if not, then what's gonna happen is when one person does, and bring, does more within the relationship than the other, well, what's happening is gonna be build up of resentment. So, that's where you need really to understand how to have good boundaries. So 
don't take backlash personally. Chances are, if you've been a yes person for a while, those closest to you realize that they know that if they want or need something and ask you for it, you're going to say yes. So be prepared for them to be a little awestruck when you tell them no. Some of them may flat out dislike the response and give you some backlash. So try not to take it personal as they've been spoiled by yes and their brain may be a little confused by you setting that boundary. As you continue to tap into your true wants and needs, eventually they'll come to understand that you're just taking care of yourself. You're not rejecting them. You're simply being true to you. Here's the thing. Within a family or even a business relationship, what happens is each person has a well-defined role, and each member of the team tends to expect that person to respond in a certain way. And if even one person changes the dynamic, then the other people are thrown off. And what are they going to try and do? They are going to try to keep you in that role that you have put yourself in for such a number of years that what's happened? They literally agreed to see you in the way that they have seen you in all the years. Therefore, it's so important that you understand how to react. And remember, this is why I often say within a family, especially a dysfunctional family, when one person changes that behavior, the others don't know how to react to them. So what are they going to be doing? Well, they are going to be putting themselves in a position where what are they going to do? They're going to want to pull you back into that position that you've been in for so many years. They don't want to let go. So what are they going to do? And the and sometimes if it's a dysfunctional relationship, then you have to get away from it and you have to stay away from it. So don't let someone else bully you into reacting the way they want you to do. So if it's wonderful to be a helpful person, whether it's at work, at home, or in the community, saying yes to requests is perfectly fine. We should all want to show up as support for others in need. However, if you're saying yes when you really want to say no, it's time to do a little digging as to why. And are you afraid that they will get mad at you, reject you? Can you 
cut, cut you off from all friends? And are you a people-pleasing person getting out of control? If so, rest assured, you can learn how to be more and have more balance in this area, learning how to really know what you want and need and what you're willing to give up to others. It feels good to stay aligned with what you truly want and need. It also feels good to be there for others when they are in need. May we all learn that the art of staying balanced with yes and no and giving ourselves permission to do or not do what we truly desire. You have the ability to be who you want to be. You just need to know what are your boundaries? Where are you coming from? What is it that you want? And how can you create the kind of lifestyle that you want? So it's up to you to understand what your boundaries are and how to, to say no when it's important. So what I want to do is, is to talk a little bit for a few minutes about setting healthy boundaries because those are so important. And boundaries protect a person's personal or mental space, much like fences between neighbors. They involve the physical and emotional limits of appropriate behavior between people and help you define where one person ends and the other person begins. People typically learn boundaries during childhood within their families, and research indicates that in families with healthy, flexible boundaries, person is able to develop into a distinct individual with their own unique interests and skills. And this helps foster well-being, self-control, and self-esteem. So understanding that. So there are clear boundaries, and clear boundaries are clearly stated, flexible, and adaptable. There is warmth, support, and stability within the family, but each person is able to be assertive, communicate their needs, and develop their own individual interests. Rigid boundaries. Rigid boundaries are closed and inflexible, much like a wall that doesn't let anyone in or out. There is less engagement and more isolation, both within the family and in the outside world. It may be more challenging for family members to communicate their needs and express individuality. Boundaries, open boundaries are not as clear and might even be fuzzy or loose. It may be hard for an individual family members to have their needs met, and families with open boundaries may be enmeshed and exhibit more codependency traits. So I want to quickly talk about what are healthy boundaries and unhealthy boundaries. 
So healthy boundaries allow each person in a relationship to, or family to communicate their wants and needs while also respecting the wants and needs of others. So here are a few examples of existing of exhibiting healthy boundaries. Being able to say no and accept when some, someone else says no. Being able to clearly communicate both wants and needs, honoring and respecting their own needs and the needs of others, respecting others' values, beliefs, and opinions, even if they are different from one's own feeling free to disclose and share information where appropriate. Though they may be flexible, they do not compromise themselves in an unhealthy way. So here are some unhealthy boundaries. Where there are unhealthy boundaries, safety in the relationship is compromised. They may lead to dysfunctional relationships where people's needs are not met. A few examples for a person exhibiting unhealthy boundaries include having a difficult time saying no, having trouble accepting no from others, not clearly communicating one's needs and wants, easily compromising personal values, beliefs, and opinions to satisfy others, being coercive and manipulative to give others to do something they don't want to do and overshadowing personal information. Unhealthy boundaries can quickly turn into abuse. Abuse, whether physical, sexual, or emotional, is a violation of boundaries. And people who have been abused as children may not know healthy boundaries. They often grow up with the lack of control over their personal and physical boundaries. The pattern may repeat its abusive patterns because of the familiar and comfortable. And that is what I'm talking about when I say that without getting the help you need, it's easy for you to keep repeating those behaviors because this is what you've learned over the years makes you be and creates and, and leads to the kind of relationships that you're having. More than anything, what we're seeing today is that whereas in, in, the, in the 20th century, especially the early part of the 20th century, where we had relationships that were built on a lack of boundaries and, and parents feeling that they owned the children and they could do what they wanted, that the divorce rate, and especially the, the really latter part and early part of the, the 21st century was almost 50% or above because you were looking for a very similar relationship that you come from because that was the familiar of what you expected. And you can go to my website, and that's the number one personalcareercoach.com, and you can sign up to get, or rather, take some courses on, on how to 
take control of your life, build better relationships, and whatever else you need to do. Log Talk Radio. and you're listening to Live Without Limits, the dreams come true with the right mindset. Coming to you from the Blog Talk Radio Network. And today's presentation is five deep things to think about to find everlasting joy. You remember this, your emotions are inside you and it's how you react to what's going on around you that can make you happy, sad, or whatever you're feeling. You might be surprised to hear that many people aren't authentically happy. Sure, they may have some happy feelings sometimes. However, deep down, much of the time, they struggle with feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, and so on and so on. Even so, most people don't really let others know that they are struggling. When someone asks them how they're doing, they smile and say, great, and keep it moving. But within, they aren't super happy. Have you ever just lay in bed at night and wondered about your life. What is your purpose? Why you feel so sad lately? What would make you happy? And remember this, when you go to bed at night, your mind wanders. And that's your subconscious mind. And what's happening is everything that's gone on in the past, everything that you want in the future, even things that are happening currently, all kind of go through your mind and how you react to it. And that's why often if you have a big idea and it becomes a dream, you have to take that from your subconscious into your conscious mind to make it real. So these types of questions are fairly common. Part of life's journey is trying to figure out your purpose and discover your authentic joy. The good news is that you can, with the right tools, attitude, and plenty of perseverance, get where you want to be. It's all up to you. You know, 
no matter how many times, if you have problems and you go into therapy, unless you truly want to change, nothing anyone does to try and help you will make you change. It's all up to you. It's all up to how you handle different situations. And it's all up to how you want to be. Because if you want to remain the victim, you're going to remain the victim. If you want to be successful, then you're going to do what it takes to be successful. So what do you believe? Our beliefs are so important. Do you realize that ever you are currently in your life, is a correlation of your beliefs and your actions from the past in your thought life and beliefs were primarily negative. Your circumstances today are probably more negative than you'd like. This is why so many times when you grow up in a home with a parent who's constantly telling you what you can't do instead of encouraging you to do the best that you can at what you can do. It always has a negative effect on you in the future. And why is it doing that? Because you're hearing those things over and over and over again in your head. And until you take and reprogram your thoughts, in transactional analysis, what it's known as is scripting, that someone is scripting you into a mold and you're accepting that mold for what it is. And the laws of attraction, it's, talk, it's what it's doing is saying that the messages that you have can be changed by changing the negativity into the positive affirmations and reprogramming your thought processes so that you think more positively. If you thought life and beliefs were primarily positive, you're probably feeling some joy in your life today. This principle is called the law of attraction, essentially. It means that whatever you put out or put your focus on, you attract more of the same. Granted, it's not an all or nothing thing. However, there is enough proof around that should help us become more curious. What you think and believe affects your moods and actions every day. If you sway toward the negative, it's time to change to the positive. Learn to retrain your brain to be more positive. And what will happen is that you will begin to attract more positive things into your life. So take some time to gauge your thoughts life and replace negative thoughts with positive ones, just like a virus that has potential 
to harm a computer. Negative thoughts have the potential to harm your life. So it's important to take care of this issue. Now, before we go any further, what I want to do is kind of give you some things where you're having the opportunity to say affirmations and why affirmations. Well, very simply, because affirmations are things and the way you say them can affect how you react. And now here's some affirmations to think of. It's all going to be worth it in the end. What's meant for me will find me. I turn my attention to the now. I do what is right for me. I feel excited about the possibilities that are about to enter my life. Things are starting to look up for me. And here's some other affirmations to think about. There's always a blessing coming out of everything that's happening in my life. I am gaining valuable insights. I only keep getting better. Everything is already in my favor. Easier for me to let things go. I will not waste my valuable energy on things that don't deserve it. So you see, there are many ways that you can say things that affect how you react in different situations. And this is so important in how you relate to what's going on around you. So try to enjoy the journey. Sometimes things don't go our way or trying times come, but we still have the ability to do our best and enjoy the journey. So why is it one person can still smile and authentically feel happy when tough times come and another one can't? The former person has tapped into the realm of positive thinking and beliefs. They understand that tough times will come, and they're decided ahead of time to keep a positive perspective when they do. Now, here's the thing. We can set goals, and we can set a target date. But here's the other thing. If everything depends on you working, and remember, you have to break things down into smaller achievable chunks because if you look at the beginning, before you get started and you look at the end goal, it can be very daunting. So think about it. If you're in college or you're just starting college, and you're thinking four years down the road, you'll, you'll graduate. And, well, what do you have to do to graduate? Well, there's certain courses you have to take. There's certain basic things you have to learn. And then you have to decide specifically where your interests lie and then declare a major and work towards that major. Now, some majors or some things that you do, 
don't may even require more than just a, a bachelor's degree. And it, previously, in the last century, many a times you had the opportunity to even get an associate's degree in a specific field before you got the bachelor's degree. And then you might have had to go for that master's degree or even the PhD. So the end result of knowing what your goals are and then taking it and looking at what do you have to do each year or each month or each day to actually reach that end goal, that's what can help you to really decide how you're going to get there and feel success along the way. So past go. You probably won't find authentic joy if you keep living in the past. The past is over, and it's time to learn from it and let it go. Let it go of any guilt and allow old wounds to heal. You can have a clean slate anytime you determine. Today is a great day to bid au revoir to negativity, regrets, fear, anger, and embrace a new journey, a journey that you will enjoy regardless of what happens. You may have to learn to let go. You may have been holding so tightly to your past that emotions surrounding it are stuck in you like glue. It may take some time to repattern your brain from negative to positive, but if you're persistent, it will happen. So life is too short to be miserable in a day or day in and day out. So enjoy the journey. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story that I think is so pertinent here. I have a sister that's deaf and had so much potential. But she, her personality was such that she was very introverted. So she didn't know how to go reach out and how to go get what she wanted and how to do the things that would truly help her reach goals. In fact, she didn't even know how to set goals because she was never encouraged to do anything. And many years ago, when she was very young, and she's profoundly deaf because it's a nerve deafness, it was like my parents refused to learn sign language. And they refused to show her that they accepted her for what she is. And they sent her to schools where they would put hearing aids on her and teach her to hear. And this was before you even had the cochlear implants, that if you put it on a child when they're a, a very young, then it, they, as the brain is developing and as the connections are de developing, then what's happening is you're going to learn to hear. But in her case, she never did. And they never showed her that they truly accepted her for who she is. And my mother never wanted to be alone. 
And whenever they lived in New York, and instead of working with her counselors to help her become more independent, she did everything to sabotage them so that she could keep her home with her. She tried it with me, but because my personality was so different, it never quite worked, and we never got along, and she refused to help me when I really needed it. And I was homeless on several occasions because she refused to help me. But here's the thing. Today, my sister is 73 years old. All she does is talk about the past because that's when she lived someplace where she had friends that she was going out with and she was doing things. And from the time she was 46, she was moved to Florida not given the opportunity to interact with people. And today, she just will sleep away today. And when she goes to see her therapist, she's been diagnosed as schizophrenic. But the problem is she doesn't even have that problem. And it's all based on the fact that she talks about the past. Well, she talks about the past because there's nothing going on in her life today that's talking about. So why not realize and try and get her the right help that will take her away from the past and give her a reason to live on a daily basis? Do what makes you feel happy. One of the toughest things for me to do when feeling sad, angry, frustrated is to get up and do something that might make me better. I want it, or I want to, but the motivation just isn't there. Now, I go to the gym three days a week, and I was very good about it and very consistent about it. And then the pandemic hit, and yes, I'm getting older too, so I know the, the motivation is waning a little bit. But what keeps me going is that I know that I have transportation that picks me up on most days. And so I can't just say, I'm not getting ready to go today, or I'm not going to go because there's someone that's going to be there to pick me up and take me. But remember this, as we age, that also affects our motivation too. So we got to recognize that that when you're at the beginning of your, your journey through life you, and, and even in, in your middle years, you're more motivated because you see a long, long road ahead of you. But as you get older, sometimes that, that road gets smaller and smaller or shorter and shorter, and it can affect your mood. So recognizing that, dealing with it, and accepting a lot of the things that you have to. And find joy in everything that you do. However, because I understand the principle of the law of attraction, I make myself get up and do things that causes me to feel some joy, even if it's something as simple as playing with the dog. I raised my emotional vibration. This is also why 
for older people, having animals are so important because as they get older and the children are grown and they're all out on their own and having families of their own, it's easy for them not to be spending a lot of time with you. So having an animal, is, it gives you that reason to get up every day and gives you that reason to take part and do things every day. If you engage in some activities that make you feel happy, chances are you'll tap into your authentic joy more often. You will get out from under these negative feelings more and more. Do you enjoy walking in the woods? Get out there and do it. Do you giggle like a kid when you hang out with your nephews and nieces? Make time to do that more often. Do you get feeling of joy when you spend quality time with your lover? Then be sure that you do it frequently. Life can get busy with work, chores, errands, and duties. And those things do not always cultivate joy. So be sure that you are engaging in things that do. You often hear about the empty nester syndrome. And that's because as we get older and as your children get older and they go out and they're on their own, then what happens is that as a couple, you you focus so much on your children that you lose sight of your relationship. This is why it's so important, even as your children get older, that you make time to work on that relationship. Because otherwise, that's why you hear many older people getting divorced, or or actually one partner dying before the other. That's why you see a lot of senior communities where seniors get moved into, and they often have different activities for them, like pickleball, or tennis, or swimming, or aerobics, things that young people didn't always have time to do in the past or even didn't even take time to do, that they actually, as they get older, take part in. Because why? For one thing, it improves your health. For another thing, it improves improves your mental well-being. This is why Now, I've been going to the gym for over 30 years and started back in the 80s when they were relatively new and started growing and becoming the thing to do. And I did it because I have a disability and for purposes of mobility needed it. And that's that's always been my motivation for going to the gym and why I have remained consistent with it over the years. So often you just need to realize and see the things that can truly help you cultivate and relate to in your life. 
So cultivating joy takes time. Please don't think that you have to be happy all the time. That's not a realistic goal. However, you can cultivate higher levels of joy in your life, and that will feel great. So also know that it takes time and effort. It will also take professional help if you've never really worked on past issues that tripped you up in some way. Don't be afraid to reach out for help if need be. The time spent in therapy is usually worth worth the investment. Remember, you are a divine and beautiful creation worthy of experiencing so much joy. So smile and feel it more often. And this is where we talk about how all of these come within you and where you relate to all of these feelings and these emotions. Because life is a journey from the time you're born to the day you die. You, It's a journey. You're going to have highs. You're going to have lows. And how you relate to what's going on in your life is what's so important. So understanding where you're coming from, understanding how the things around you affect you, and how it can build on your relationship with other people. And remember this, if you grow up in a home where there's a lot of negativity, what happens? Then that's what you're seeing, and that's what you take into the home that you make. And often what happens is if you come from a home where there was a lot of physical and emotional abuse, then what's happening? That you find a mate that comes from a very similar home, and that's the home that you create for your children. Well, is that the home that you really want? Or are you looking for a way to change? Because this is what I say. You can, you can listen to certain celebrities, like, and where they talk about the kind of home they come from, and they say, oh, I'm going to be a different parent, and I'm going to do things differently. And yet when you see the things that they're doing and the choices they made in a mate, then what's happening? that someone who could be very happy in the lifestyle that he was living and his mate wanted something totally different and convinced him that the life that he was leading is is very detrimental and to find a way to create a different environment. So what happens? He he kind of reinforces a lot of things and aren't that, that that person says, and what does it do? It creates the environment that's not only hostile, hostile for him, but hostile for his children. And what are they teaching their children when they bad mouth their 
family and denigrate them and, and say how bad they are because you are a product of home you come from. And unless you get therapy, unless you're willing to admit that you have a problem and you want to change, then you are not going to change. And that's why earlier I said that per your personality really affects you because sometimes if you're an introverted personality, then you needed to be encouraged, you need to be pushed, and you need the support that you can get in therapy. Sometimes even if you're an extrovert, you still need that therapy, but you're more capable of being able to deal with it and react to it and the and then you're more likely to say, I want to change. I want to be a different person. I want to be the kind of person that's respected. So understanding just how all of those things play out is so important. And remember, in communication, it's listening. It's the body language that you exude, the facial expressions, because your facial expressions are going to tell people what's really going on inside you, even if you don't recognize that yourself. And I have two membership sites. One membership site is for personal development, and the other is on entrepreneurship, because where your head is determines whether or not you're going to be successful either way. And my membership site that deals with person, personal development is askdavidashinsky.com. And you can go to that website and you can read about my background and you can decide whether or not you want to sign up to get the courses and develop a better mindset. Love Talk Radio. relationships to fulfill their own wants and needs. 
This all works great for a while, but eventually drifts of turmoil begin to set in, and more often than not, both partners get disillusioned and opt out of the relationship in the hopes that a new one will be better. As more people on the planet become more conscious and aware spiritually, this model for relationships is being replaced by a more conscious model. You might call it a new paradigm, so to speak. Many couples on a spiritual path are coming together in relationships for the goal of personal and spiritual growth. It's a journey. You might even call it a sacred dance. It's an adventure and a journey of evolution as both partners head into the relationship with the expectation to grow and expand as a result of the merging. When you look at relationships in the different generations, in the different eras, they've evolved. Because if you look back in the Victorian era, especially in Europe, when you had royalty, many of them, they married women of the same station because they were passing along the titles. And many of those relationships were not based on getting a, a mutual need met as much as men married women for, to pass along the bloodlines, but they had their mistresses along the way for fun and, and, and whatever else they were looking for. Well, the thing is that over time, and even in religions, when you think of the Mormon religion, and they all have multiple marriages and various things like that, that while you're seeing so a, such a high divorce rate in the latter part of the 20th century and the very much the early part of the 21st century, is because people don't really understand how to have a relationship with each other. What is a, a relationship? That it's meeting mutual needs, but it's also a way of building a strong bond between a family. And what happens is you're seeing so many kids today that come from broken marriages that they really just don't know what a real healthy relationship is and they don't know how to take those and have a healthy relationship themselves. Waking up to reality. Many are stating that as a collective, we are being called to awaken more, becoming more conscious of our relationships, whether you're single or in a relationship, you'll benefit from learning more about a conscious relationship. It means you're aware of who you are. Journey into a new paradigm for relationships, and remember, it is but a journey. There is no grand finale 
distinction. Being conscious means that you stay aware and present in the moment. You're connected at a deeper level. Now, why we need to work, wake up to reality in a relationship? Well, for one thing, a relationship takes work. And there's going to be ups and downs in a relationship. Understanding that, knowing what brought you get together to begin with and how meaningful that that was to you at that time. Now, remember, who you are in your 20s and what you're looking for in a relationship in your 20s is very different than the kind of relationship you want in your 30s or your 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. So that what happens is when two people come together, if they're moving at the same pace in their relationship, the relationship is going to work. But if one person moves at a different pace than the other, then there's going to be problems in that relationship. Understanding that, understanding what a healthy relationship is and how to have a healthy relationship is so important. So here are some things that to cultivate as a conscious relationship. Conscious communication. A conscious relationship requires honest and open communication when engaging with another person, especially during conflict or contrast. Can can you be present and aware during the conflict or contrast? Can you be present and aware of the dynamics of a deeper level instead of judging? Can you hear them with your spiritual ears? Can you see them with your spiritual eyes? If you care, your spirit, if you, if you can, you'll be able to watch your relationships flourish with personal and spiritual growth occurring regularly. You may wonder how you can stay in the moment when your partner is accusing you of being mean. And maybe he's cranky. Maybe she's PMSing or projecting her wounds onto you. Maybe his inner child is afraid you will abandon him. Well, it may help you to remember that most of the times when you encounter conflict in any relationship, friendship, or intimate, only about 10% of that contrast has anything to do with the present. The other 90% has something to do with unresolved trauma or wounds from the past. Yes, unhealthy trauma can kick our butt if we let it. What happens in the home when you're a child growing up? If you come from a home where there was a lot of verbal 
physical, emotional abuse, then what's going to happen is you're going to take that into the new relationship. Either you're going to be the abuser or you're going to be the victim in that relationship because somehow in your mind you have allowed yourself to accept that that's the kind of relationship you should have. The problem is that eventually you get tired of being the victim. And what happens is, I've seen this so many times, is they don't want to be the victim in that relationship, and they end that relationship, and then what happens? They choose someone else who's literally treating them exactly the same way they were treated in the last relationship. Therefore, it's important if you are being made the victim in an unhealthy relationship that you seek help and counseling. Because you need to understand where you're coming from and how past relationships and past traumas are causing you to, to be where you are. Because what you've done is you've put limiting beliefs on yourself that this is the you can do. And I can remember many a times my mother often saying how her mother should have been sterilized because of what happened in that home. And yet I saw her repeating the exact behaviors in her own home. And yet she, and she couldn't see it and was very negative, was constantly doing exactly what her mother did, which was downplaying and, and, and finding fault with everything her children did and, and, be, and, and, and always criticizing them every step of the way. And I even see it in my younger sister, which she's exactly doing what my mother did. And why is that? Because whenever there was conflict between the sisters, she always got away with whatever she did because, oh, it just couldn't possibly be her fault. And I can tell you this. I was recently answered and and written up in an article where I talk about a toxic sibling. And about 13 years ago, I was visiting my mother with my sister. And so it was all four of us in the house. And I, because I have a disability, I can't get on the floor to sleep. And, and all my older sister had was a trundle bed to sleep in. So they decided to get her another mattress. And because the, the beds were on sale, they got in the box spring and the rails as well. And she slept on that bed. When we got ready to leave, my younger sister put the mattress on top of the trundle bed because that's what she wanted her to sleep in. And my sister wanted to sleep in the bed she paid for. So what happened? She's holding the mattress, and my other sister's pushing her against the rails of the trundle bed. 
And why did she want him to sleep in a trunk of bed instead of a regular bed? Or even why a twin bed for a woman that's in her 40s? Why not a double bed? Why not a queen-size bed? Well, here's the reason why. When we were young, we had a two-bedroom house. Originally, when my parents were going to build the home, it was supposed to be a three-bedroom home. Someone said to my mother, oh, you're going to have a three-bedroom home. Well, now when your brother-in-law gets out of the military, he can live with you. Well, because she didn't want him living with her, she made it a two, she cut it down to a two-bedroom home. Well, the thing is, all she had to say was, I have two children, they each get their own room. So, because when she came along, there was no room to get another twin bed in there, they bought her a day bed. And because she didn't have her own bed to sleep in, she didn't want her sister to have a bed to sleep in. And that was wrong. The thing is, my mother did not stop her or call the police for her to her for doing what she did to my sister. But six months later, when I was staying with my mother and because she creates a toxic home life, I started falling into old behaviors. Well, then she went and sat in her sister's house and went to the courts to try to claim that I, I was elderly abused, that I was abusing her, forgetting the abuse that she heaped on me for years, for years. And thing is, because they never quite, I never answered the door to them and they never served me the papers, what happens? She comes back and she, and everything, but she's just a negative person. And I always told her, just remember what you give because that's what you're getting back. And I used to also tell her, well, why don't you just die? You'd solve everyone's problem. Well, you know what? She passed away two days before my birthday, and we buried her on my birthday. And the only time I cried tears was when they actually put her in the ground only because we would never make peace with each other. But I knew many a times, I tried talking to her. I tried. I tried. But she was always going to hear what she wanted to hear. She was always going to interpret things the way she wanted to interpret it. And there was no way getting around it. And the only reason my parents' marriage worked was because my mother wanted financial security that she got with my father because he owned his own business, and he needed someone to be a hostess when he gave dinner parties, and she fit the bill. Neither of them married based on love, and neither of them were looking for love. Well, the thing is, what, what kind of role models were they for their children? That it's understandable that none of their children ever got married. And it's not only in that home, but many of my mother's brothers and sisters, and even on my father's side, there were very few that actually got married. 
And of those that got married on my mother's side, almost every one of them ended up divorced. Now, it may help you to remember that most of the times when you encounter conflict in any relationship, friendship, or intimate, only about 10% of that contrast has anything to do with the present. The other 90% has something to do with unresolved trauma or wounds from the past. Yes, unhealed trauma can kick our butt if we let it. Cultivating intimacy. Intimate relationships without intimacy tend to go south quickly. Sure, the beginning of a relationship is usually marked with lots of intense emotion, passion, and sometimes even lust. However, as time goes by, some of that dwindles. The love, chemicals, flame, and if you're not willing to cultivate the real deal, deep intimacy, chances are your relationship will be dull and maybe even lifeless. To cultivate intimacy, you'll need to embrace authenticity and vulnerability. Get real and wrong. This requires you to be awake and living in the present moment. This means putting it all out there on the table. No lies, no masks, just being you, flaws, past, unhealed wounds, and all. I had a friend come to me <laughs> in tears recently, a wreck due to her partner lying to her about something pretty serious. In her venting session, she got pretty real and wrong with herself, stating that she wasn't in love. She was living a facade, and she was very tired of it. Her soul was essentially dying in a relationship, plagued by ego, ego, and more ego. End of the day, she went back to her partner and swept it under the rug once again. I love her unconditionally, for sure, as there is no judgment on my part. I do know that she will face more of the same contracts in the relationship down the road, because when you sweep things under the carpet and do not allow your real self to be present in life. It comes back to bite you later. Yet, the biting doesn't have to be viewed negatively. It can be a springboard to healing and growth. I mean, relationships are an opportunity to heal and grow. Now, how many of you have had relationships where things have not always worked out? It's seeing what to cultivate deep intimacy, see others without judgment, see all of them, and pour out your love, all 
over again. After all, we all want to be discovered, explored, and adored fully. Presence. How to be present in a relationship. To be present in a relationship means to be in it without judgment, without expectations. You want to be with them and get to know them, right? So what do you want to do? You want to get to know them. You want to listen to them. And you want to hold a sacred and safe space for them to judge, be flawed and all. Listening and the importance of listening in a relationship. If you're having a conversation and all you are doing is thinking about what you can say next or about other things, you're not consciously listening. You can really hold a space to listen intently to your partner, even when she is complaining, hurt, angry, and irrational. And this is what's called active listening. Make a commitment to yourself. We all talk a lot about making commitments to each other in a relationship. And that's fine. And what about a commitment to yourself? Also, first, can you commit to being conscious in your own life? Are you awake? Are you paying attention to the present moments and seeking opportunities for your growth as opposed to blaming, playing the victim, ignoring Numbing, running, conscious self-care is important. If you're not consciously taking care of you, you'll be subpar. When it comes to flourishing in a conscious relationship, how are you doing when it comes to self-love? Do you love yourself? Do you honor yourself? Are you aware of your own needs and wants. If so, you can provide the majority of these on your own. This is so important because to have a healthy relationship with someone, you really have to know who you are and what your personality is and how you can have a healthy relationship with someone when your needs are being met. A solid, intimate connection is influenced when you have a solid commitment to yourself. It makes for a firm foundation. You heard things like, he completes me, indicating that a half person and another half person make up the whole. Conscious relationships are two whole persons coming together for an interdependent relationship. Both add to each other, but are not necessarily dependent upon each other healthy way. 
And the last thing I'm going to say about this is that my older sister was was very was only born deaf. Deaf people had a lot more opportunities than someone with a physical disability like I have, where it's more obvious and visible. And my family never learned to use sign language with her, never showed her that they accepted her for who she was. And her personality was to be very introverted. Therefore, whenever she was criticized, she constantly internalized it to the point that now she's just waiting to die. And it's so sad to see because she, she's just such a lost soul that she's never, because she's never learned to take care of herself, never had to think for herself, never had any goals, that now she's so lost because she just doesn't know what to do. And what she's actually doing and how she's treating people around her is what she saw my mother do for years. And she doesn't even understand what she's really doing. That's the sad part. Allowing space to heal. If you're in a conscious relationship, understanding that your partner is your greatest asset to healing old unresolved trauma or wounds that will help your relationship tremendously. Let's face it, we all have some unresolved wounds from the past. We all deal with things like the fear of abandonment, rejection, shame, and other negative feelings, and these certainly surface when we're in a relationship. Yes, triggers occur for sure, no matter how much ease and flow you want to occur in your relationship. This is why it is so important to be present and conscious with each other. Remember that tough emotions may be in your wounded inner child seeking unconditional love so they can feel safe and get free. It's a time for both of you to own our stuff. As many say, keeping your own side of the street clean. Conscious relationships allow you a venue to radiate and practice authentic Well, let's say this again. Conscious relationships allow you a venue to radiate and practice authentic love. Do you always feel like loving your own partner? How about when they are acting irrational, grouchy, or when they go through a period of depression? Do we offer them love or judgment? You can practice unconditional love and a conscious relationship. And remember, you can go to my website, and that's the number one personal career coach 
www.thepeopleshop.com and you can get or you can join my membership site, askdavidashinsky.com and take some courses on improving your personal relationships. Log Talk Radio. Of the 
that father's story. And we offer you seven of the best and most inspiring documentaries to watch. Now, remember this. When you watch a documentary, it's often a veiled something that really happened. And therefore, you have to take it within its context. So, what are some just inspiring documentaries that you should watch? Well, the following will make you laugh. But, hold your loved ones closer. Even keep you are your seat. In other words, you're going to feel something. After all, it would be inspiring if you didn't. So if you're setting into your next movie night, try watching these inspirational documentaries. 14 Keys, The Conquering of a Sun, The Climb. These are so many parallels between life and the story of what to climb the world's 14 tallest mountains and its 14 peaks. They mountaineer. His name is Virgil. It's a sport, but in any sport, 
in today's lifestyle, to to reach the And just like anything else in your life, if you want to be successful in business, whether it's to grow your own business or if you're working for a company and working like houses, the company, you have to be dedicated. In the past, corporations used to combine training for their And if you on your own to go out and get those courses, well, what are you doing? What you're actually doing is you're showing someone that you are a go-getter, that you're a leader, that you're someone that if they put their faith in you and move you up within the you will be rewarded by putting all effort to do the best job you can do, and you show them that you are willing to go out and get the training you needed in order to perform at that level. The second one is the march of the Okay, I get it. March of the like the first document that I already set comes to mind when you think of inspiring documentaries. But the circle of life should be embraced. Plus, the endurance that some animals have can provide incredible inspiration. I mean, let's look around. How amazing is this planet and the Marching of the Penguins features the annual journey that Penguins in the Antarctica make to bring newborn Penguins into their nest. It takes place over many months and shines a light on the incredible sacrifices parents make when attempting to bring new life into the world. And they become so fascinated on the right eye 
They want to be talked to in a way that they're being shown respect, that they're being helped to grow, to learn, to learn. As a young child go to school or as they learn to become social and interact with other people. And then a
working on personal development and being the best person you can be and getting rid of all of those feelings that you have, then the laws of attraction can teach you a lot of things. And we, we look at affirmations and what the laws of attraction is saying is when you Your rules, 
yourself and your life and always recognize this, that you, as only you, take control and live your life and live the best quality of life. And what I want to tell you about, which is the last thing I want to talk about, is that I have a challenge coming up that's called Seven Ways to Reach Personal Success on a Daily Basis. And if you would like to attend, you can go to Personal Success on a Daily Basis, forward slash challenge the Send you the link so you 